Hi, my name is Emma. Hi, my name is Xavier, and we would like to welcome you to Curious Conversations, a podcast for kids, by kids. It's a podcast where we have conversations with adults and kids from all walks of life to learn about their passions and what inspires them, which we know will inspire us and hopefully inspire you, too. Why else, you might ask? Well, we love to ask questions. We are twins, and we just turned 11, and we have over a decade of experience being kids and having a point of view on many topics. We thought a podcast would be a great way to learn something new and explore our interests in a different way, so we thought, why don't we give it a try? On today's episode, we welcome Anna Fabriga, otherwise known as Miss Fab. She is an education entrepreneur and a chief evangelist at Synthesis. What is Synthesis? What is an education entrepreneur? What is a chief evangelist? All you have to do is listen to find out. I, I am so excited to be talking about Synthesis and meeting Miss Fab today. Not only it is amazing she agreed to be a guest, but you and I are both students at Synthesis and love it. I agree. I think she's going to be a very interesting guest. I am curious about all the different ways we can learn things. Emma, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Miss Fab? Sure, Xavier. Miss Fab is enthusiastic about experien- experiential and gamified learning and is constantly looking, looking to innovate and rethink the way kids learn. If you can believe it, she lived in seven different countries and attended ten different schools growing up, including a university degree from New York University. Miss Fab is a former elementary school teacher, an education entrepreneur, and chief evangelist at Synthesis where she is avidly working to change the future of education and sharing alternative ways to learn. Hi. Hi, Xavier. Hi, Emma. I'm so happy to be here. We're happy that you're here, too. Thank you for coming. Um, We're super excited to talk to you. Likewise. How are you? I am doing great. I was very excited for this interview. I usually do interviews with older folks and they're not as fun (laughs) as the ones that I do with kids, especially synthesis kids. So I'm excited. In our introduction, we talked about synthesis and how both Emma and I are students there. We are so excited to talk about synthesis. But first, we want to know um, what led you to where you are today and also... Can you explain to kids like us um, what an educational entrepreneur is and what a chief, I'm sorry, I don't have them. Chief evangelist. Yes. What what are they? Yeah, absolutely. So let's begin with, so what I studied, I studied education and childhood uh, childhood education and special education. So I was a teacher for many years. Um, And then... I started to question a lot of the things that were happening inside the school system and the way that I was spending time with my students. I felt like there were many exciting things that we could be doing that we weren't able to do in the classroom because of all the curriculum and all the standards and all the things that we had to cover. Um, So I started sort of to question my role um, as a teacher in a traditional classroom, and that sort of led me to quit after five years. So this was around a year and a half ago. And when I did that, I was like, well, what should I do now? I love working with kids. And your question was sort of like, what led you to where you are today? So I started doing, and this is sort of funny because what got me in trouble as a kid when I was a student, and I went to 10 different schools because I lived in seven countries. So we can talk about that in a little, Um, but I would get in trouble for 
asking lots of questions, for wanting to sort of like shake things up, um, for looking at things differently. And just, I was very curious, right? And as you probably know, in school, that doesn't play so well. But ironically, that was sort of what led me to where I am now. And I'm doing something that I'm very passionate about. And we can talk about that also in a little. Um, but I guess if I speak about it more broadly, it was sort of realizing that one, there were lots of things that I did not know and sort of like getting comfortable with that, right? And actually getting excited excited about the fact that I had so much to learn about education, although I considered myself to know a lot about education, right? Um, and then I started to rethink and sort of like unlearn a lot of the things that I learned as a student and even as a teacher. And then what really um, helped me was that I decided to work on like really learning how to speak in public and how to communicate my thoughts clearly and eloquently. And I decided to learn how to write for modern times. So again, as a teacher, I would teach my third and fourth graders how to write, but it was in a very traditional way, sort of like topics chosen by the curriculum for the teacher, and it wouldn't really get me anywhere. But then I learned how to write about the things that I was curious about and explaining them in ways that um, were simple and that people would find engaging. And I'm by no means where I want to be yet, but I'm certainly at a better place um, than I was a year and a half ago. So sort of like learning how to communicate these thoughts that I was having and and sort of voice all these questions um, was really crucial in, so, in sort of like my journey. And then I started writing online and sort of like talking about my ideas about what education should look like, the things that I wasn't really happy that I saw in the classroom. Um, and then I came across this education company, this startup, which is Synthesis, you guys are very familiar, um, that was using this game-based approach to teach kids how to think, how to solve interesting problems, how to collaborate, right? And I got really excited when I saw that the students were really excited and that the students were really like involved in the process and they were learning things that were very valuable for the kind of cool jobs that people now have nowadays, right? Um, and so I was very excited about that. So after helping them launch and sort of explain what synthesis was to the world and, and why this is such a cool new learning experience, they decided to hire me as a chief evangelist. So this term has been around for many, many years in Silicon Valley. Um, and it's sort of like the, think of, an, do you know what an ambassador is? Like the ambassador of a product yep. where you sort of, yeah. Um, yeah. So the word evangelism actually comes from this Greek word that is like to proclaim the good news. So in this case, I get to explain to the world how synthesis um, can improve other kids' lives and provide great learning experiences that they're not getting anywhere else, right? So my job as a chief evangelist involves like sharing our story, talking to different people that are doing interesting things, explaining what it is that we're doing, even though, as you probably know, being in synthesis, this is challenging because it's not really um, a common learning experience, right? Um, so I go on a lot of podcasts and a lot of interviews and I talk about it. I write about this, um, hopefully to get people, both students and parents to start thinking about education in a new way. So what is the best part about your job? The best part about my job is that I get to work with people that are equally obsessive <laughs> as I am and very passionate and work really hard on what we're doing. So that's something that I'm always looking for, um, surrounding myself with people that are also smarter than me to make sure that I'm learning all the time and that are challenging <laughs> my thinking. Um, so I really, really love that about my job, the people that I work with and sort of the mission and what we're doing. We're very similar in that sense. And the other part that I really love about my job is the flexibility and um, sort of like the dynamism of the job. So what I mean by flexibility is that I don't have a typical 
eight to five job. I'm able to structure my days the way that is convenient for me. So I really love that about my job. And then the dynamic, like the dynamism part of the dynamism is some days I may be writing, other days I may be reading or listening to podcasts or talking to interesting people like both of you, um, Thank or you. going to conferences. <laughs> um, other days I'm spending time with kids at Synthesis, for example, seeing the simulations. Other days I'm creating videos. So it's a very... Um, I get bored pretty quickly. <laughs> so this job is perfect for me because I get to do a little bit of everything, right? And that way I'm never bored. Um, yeah, so th those are probably my favorite things about my job. Let's take some time to talk about synthesis. Mm -hmm. We are going to put a link in the show notes so people can explore more about synthesis. Mm -hmm. But can you give us a... Um, quick explanation about what synthesis is yeah for sure and then i want to see if you guys agree since you guys are students at synthesis um, so synthesis is um, a new online learning experience where kids ages roughly 8 through 14 from all over the world get to join this online space and then work together and also compete against each other to solve challenging problems that sort of mirror the kind of problems that we face in the real world, right? So we use a game-based approach. So it doesn't really feel like a class. It doesn't really feel like school, right? Because you are competing and collaborating to solve these like really challenging problems, um, but using, you know, through our game simulations. And by doing that, you're learning how to communicate better, how to solve problems in a team, um, how to deal with uncertainty, right? Do we tell you like the rules of the game? No, no? never you. Just throw no, us in there. right? We sort of tell you sort of like figure it out, right? So we do that on purpose because we realize that a lot of what happens in the real world, like the real world doesn't really come with instructions the way it, we, we usually operate in school, right? The real world, you sort of have to figure things out and think for yourself and try something and maybe... What you try doesn't work, so you fail in the process, but then you pick yourself up, you try again, you try a different strategy. And we wanted to come up with a learning experience that mirrored that, that was very similar to what happens in the real world, because what a better way to prepare you to be an adult than that, and to do it in a way that was fun and engaging. So for that, we made sure that the students are very much in charge of it. You see that the teachers or the facilitators, which is what we call the adults that are in the simulations, they rarely interject, right? They're mostly there to pose questions and make sure that, you know, put a little bit of order in the chaos, but it's very chaotic, right? Yeah. Um, and, and just let kids create and let kids sort of figure things out for their own, right? And sort of like struggle in the process. And that's what really caught my attention. Because again, coming from a very traditional teaching background, we don't see this often in school. And it's really what's missing so that we can be better prepared for the real world. So that's sort of like how synthesis is starting. We are going to be evolving in the second year that we are out right because we've yeah. been around for a year now um so maybe if we have this conversation in a year um we'll have different components to sort of like the synthesis world right is that a good explanation yeah, I, do? i do like it i, I think mm -hmm. it's because like so i started in january and when i first started i was mm -hmm. so intrigued i was like but where are all the instructions like it was really confusing because i'm getting i'm so used to getting instructions but now i just love it because i'm i, mm -hmm. I, I like that they don't give us instructions and the Two of my favorite games are Art for All and Proxima. Oh, um, yeah, aren't those great? Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that, Emma. Absolutely. Um, I, I remember when I first observed the sessions, I was like, wow, I've never seen kids that are so comfortable with 
all this chaos, right? And yeah, embrace the chaos. Right, right. And obviously I saw some sessions where the kids had been around for a while. But again, in my classroom, like if a fire drill will go off because we were doing a fire alarm, like the kids would all go crazy, right? Because they weren't used to it. It was like a little change to the schedule and all the kids would lose it. Um, and, And here it's sort of like, no, we're teaching you to get comfortable with this and sort of like stop, figure it out. And then what should you try next? So that was just really interesting and a, and a very cool approach that we take at Synthesis. What do you think, Xavier? Would you add anything to that description? Um, well, I think you did it absolutely perfectly. <laughs> um, what I really, really love about Synthesis is that you don't have to just sit down in a desk and go look, your, put your head in a paper mm. and just write for it. I really enjoy playing games and um, any type of game would really keep me interested. If it's a game that I really, really love, I would could probably do it for hours on end. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what Synthesis showed me, that um, learning isn't just from school, it's from anyone and anywhere around the world. Oh, I love that. You guys do a way better job explaining what this is than I do. <laughs> <laughs> love that. So we know that Synthesis shows people that there are many ways to learn, but it's just a start. If you can make ed- education what you envision it, what would a normal day look like? Oh, this is such a good question. Okay, so I'm going to sort of give you an example of what a day could look like. But again, um, this can vary depending on many, many factors. But let's say that if I could decide how this was done... Um, Kids would first be spending a few hours in the morning or at some point during the day outside, um, either with facilitators or mentors and kids that are different ages in sort of like an unstructured setting. So they could be, um, have you guys heard of this term called like forest schools? And if not, I'll okay, great. So I'll explain what it is. So forest schools are sort of like, um, schools that take place outside. So it could be, again, in the forest, or it could be in a farm, or it could be um, in the beach. Um, But basically, the kids are exploring outdoors, and they're taking little risks, and there's a lot of like hands-on activities, but in a natural setting. So I love this idea, and I think that in my ideal world, kids would be spending some time outside in, in this kind of environment, similar to forest schools, with other kids where you get to socialize and explore and sort of like learn on demand, which means learn based on what it is that you're encountering at the moment. Then, um, have you heard of the term micro schools or they're calling it nowadays like learning pods? Have you heard of that? I've heard of it a little bit, but I don't know much about it. Great. So I'll go ahead and explain it. Um, so learning pods or micro schools are sort of, um, kids getting together and it's five to eight kids sort of with an adult and you get together either in a house or in a comfy space. It could be like an office or sometimes they meet in churches. Um, and it's learning in a very unstructured way as well. You may have a curriculum, but it's usually a flexible curriculum. And what's great about this is that you get more personalized instruction. You have more attention from the adult. You get to learn from the other kids and you get to do more meaningful projects, right? So let's say that after you had time to explore outside, then maybe this this is the time where you're working on projects that have science and math, or maybe they're teaching you how to write, but in a real context way, right? So it's like, a f- and the, the great thing about this is this tend to be fun and more student led. So I would incorporate that also in the day. Then, um, you know, how in school, we spent seven hours, around seven hours in a classroom. I think that's one of the craziest ideas that we've come up with in order to teach kids how to learn. Because the reality is that out of those seven hours, we're not really actively learning those seven hours. 
So I think that it's even more valuable to spend just maybe two to three hours with that direct learning instruction and then have lots of time for unstructured self-directed learning. So this could be a time where you are um, consuming information from different sources. So it could be books, it could be YouTube, it could be documentaries, maybe a podcast or having a cool conversation with someone, anything that you're curious about, right? So you're sort of like learning and consuming information. Um, and then you actually have to produce something with whatever it is that you consumed. So you're not only going to learn about something, but then you maybe want to do a little movie about it, or you want to write about it, or you want to do a podcast about it, right? Um, or maybe a sketch or something, but making sure that you're putting in hours into a crafting a skill set of your choice. Then I would incorporate a little bit of technology, right? And here, um, but mainly to sort of like share your creative output, to connect with like-minded peers, the way you guys do in synthesis. So a way for you to sort of like join an online community um, where you meet kids from different places, from different backgrounds, and you get to do things like, for example, in synthesis, solve interesting problems with a very diverse group right? Um, and then I would find, and maybe this doesn't have to happen every day, but at least sometime during the week where you meet with a mentor and a mentor could be anyone that you admire and you look up to. Um, that's not mom and dad. Cause although we, of course we admire mom and dad, it's better when it's someone that's not in your direct family. And it could be an older kid. It could be maybe, um, a coach. It could be anyone that can help you sort of reflect on your learning of the week and your progress and your process and help you sort of like see the, the spaces where you need help, etc. So it's more like a feedback way of learning. So that's sort of like the way that I envision it. Um, an example of a day. Yeah. So at our school, we have outdoor education this year. It's once a week. Um, we did this activity the first time it was, it was, it was about asking for help. And what we did was we had a string and three people volunteered. They went to the other side of the field and we all held our hands on the string to make a circle. And they are instructed to find the end of the string, but we actually tied the end of the string into a knot. So they were blindfolded and we, they would be walking around in a circle. Um, the only way to get out of the um, rope and to find the end of the rope is when you ask for help. I love that. I love that. And I've, I've never heard of outdoor education. That's so cool that your school does that. Very cool example. See, you're practicing similar skills than the ones that you practice at Synthesis, but in real life um, and in a more social context in that way, right? I love that. Thanks for sharing, Emma. I was actually one of those people um, in my class who volunteered to be um, blindfolded. Mm. And I'm like, um, I don't need help right now. I'm going to try this for as long as I can. Right. The, the, the teacher literally said, there's a way out of the circle. There wasn't a way out of the circle. <laughs> but there was a way to know that you couldn't. It, it, it just was very confusing for the three people who got vol volunteered. Very quiet. I like how you volunteered. I mean, that requires a level of trust in your part, right? Because you were blindfolded, right? That's sort of scary when you don't really know what's going on. You, you have to trust the people around you. The funny part about the that activity, the teacher didn't let them know what they were going to do. They're like, you just like, go over there, admire the trees. And, <laughs> and then he told us that, and we're like, oh, that's an interesting idea. So, um, you, you talked about micro schools. Do you think they relate, relate, relate to IB? Because we go to an IB school. Oh, you go to an IB school. Very cool. Yeah. Well, um, I guess they relate in the sense that you get to, 
um, explore and you sort of learn and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're learning topics that you explore. And then the teacher sort of has a lot more of autonomy on the, um, sort of the curriculum and the things that they're teaching you. So they get to, it really depends on the teacher. So I think that it, it relates to it in the sense that the teacher has more, more autonomy or the adult, um, and it's more flexible and it's more related to whatever it is that the kids are interested in learning. Um, so I think it, it does definitely relate in that sense. And it also, and this is similar for a lot of progressive approaches like Montessori or Reggio Emilia or Waldorf. They all sort of like share that idea. So we also went to Montessori as our preschool or like before JK. So we've had a kind of learning experience like that. Oh, and you said cool. like concepts, like, yeah, I, there's not much of a curriculum. We call them lines of inquiry. We mm. have who we are, where we are in place and time, how the world works, etc. And basically what it is, is that there's a whole paragraph. In your time at the school, you learn basically one or two lines of that, like, unit line of inquiry, and you, you learn it in each different grade. Um, and the idea is by the end of grade six, which is what we are in, um, you learn, you've learned that whole paragraph in, di- in different structures. Mm-hmm. And the idea is like, giving us information but not like so much information but we didn't realize we were learning that much information the I whole time. Absolutely love that. I'm I'm a fan of inquiry based learning. Um and and I think that that's one of the big things that's missing in traditional schools that um kids are not really asking a lot of questions, right? A lot of the questions are actually posed by the teacher or they're prefabricated in the textbooks. And um, But I think that one of the best ways to learn, and kids are natural at doing this, right? Unless they train us out of it, is by yeah. asking questions, right? And asking questions over questions over questions. Like that's really um, one of the traits that you see in a lot of the people that have innovated you know, in the world, it's because they don't get tired of asking why and of, you know, they just have questions after question. And that really is one of the best ways to learn. So it makes me happy to hear that you had that kind of learn that you're going through that kind of learning experience. Um, I would really, I really enjoy less structuring learning. I learn better when I am not sitting in a desk, usually. I completely agree. I am actually standing up right now. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm like you in that way. So you mentioned unstructuring learning. How do you continue to learn outside of your job? Oh, that's a great question. So I make sure that I block times during the week, during my days, for sort of unstructured learning. So um, it's a moment where I do two things. I consume information and then I produce something. So I consume information from either podcasts that I'm listening or books that I'm reading, um, from Twitter, from interesting conversations like this one, um, from documentaries, from playing a synthesis games. Like these are all examples of places where I am I consume my information, right? Because I sort of think about it um, like a car, like a car needs fuel in order to keep going, right? So when I feel like I'm running out of fuel and I'm running out of ideas, it means that I need to start consuming again, right? But once I consume, then I must do something to put that into, like do something with that information because otherwise I'm going to forget about it or it's just there in my brain. So I need to do something with that. So then I also block some time during the day to produce my own insights or my own takeaways from what it is that I'm consuming. Um, so for everything I 
um, consume, then I produce something. So that's one way that I continue to learn. The second way is I am always looking for ways to surround myself with interesting people. Um, I try never to be the smartest one in the room um, because then I'm not really learning, right? Um, yeah. And I, I purposely put myself in situations where I don't know about a topic or I'll enroll in something in an activity. Like the other day I enrolled in salsa classes. I didn't know how to salsa dance. I know how to do other kinds of dances, but not salsa. I purposely did that because I love trying something that I've never done before and then slowly getting good at it, right, with practice. So that's another way that I continue to learn. I love reading um, and, again, consuming from different things and then just producing my own insights and sharing them so that I get feedback. When I put things out, usually people will comment and be like, Anna, have you thought about it this way? And I'm like, huh, no, thank you for bringing that up. I just learned something new. And then I guess when I was a teacher, one of the ways that I would really learn that I miss a lot now that I'm not working as closely with kids is just by being surrounded by children. I would learn a ton, even more than when I was with adults. Cause you know, you guys are so curious. You're always like obsessed with something new that you would like to talk about and share about. You have a different, fresh perspective. So definitely surrounding myself with, um, with younger people is a great way to continue to learn. Um, so just like, um, what you said about trying something new, what I learned on Tuesday when I went to my first rock climbing class is that you will never get something first try. You always need to work on it. Mm-hmm. And so now that we're going after this, I'm going to, I'm trying my best right. to learn um, from my, my mistakes. I love that, Xavier. That's, that's definitely one of the best ways to learn. Um, once you get comfortable with the idea that you, you, you need to make lots of little mistakes in order to succeed, um, and you're not afraid of that, that's when you start to go in a learning sprint, right? When you stop fearing mm-hmm. making mistakes and failure, you sort of like see as, see it as an opportunity to start again, this time in a more, you know, in a more intelligent way. Let's put it that way, right? With more information. So I like to build things a lot, um, out of everything. <laughs> I like to, I like to go into my garage, um, with my Hot Wheel cars and build cool tracks. And I love to build with Lego and stuff. And I love to make l- Nerf towers. I always like to grab, um, some characters and put them up and shoot them down. Um, how do you continue learning? Well, you were telling me that you like to mm-hmm. um, build all these different things and experiment outside of school, right? And how, how do you like to consume content, for example, or consume knowledge? Well, I can learn from my parents, mm-hmm. my friends, my teachers, um, from myself. I don't know, like, um, I try one thing, it doesn't work, then I try another strategy for mm-hmm. it. I love that. I continue to learn as much as I want to. Mm-hmm. So I continue to learn by um, always learning stuff that are hard for me that I necessarily don't want to do, but I still do them because it's it's um, better for me if mm-hmm. I learn it. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. how much agency you have over your learning. Like you're very self-aware for how old are you, Xavier? Eleven. 11. You're very self-aware for an 11-year-old. How old are you, Emma? 11. We're twins. Oh, oh, you're twins. I did not. Yeah. Fun fact. Very yeah. cool. Um, so the way I continue to learn, I think it's just because I like to read a lot. I love reading fiction series like Keeper of Lost Cities 
and school for good and evil, but I really will read anything, including nonfiction, like autobiographies. Right now, I'm reading Becoming by Michelle Obama. My reading- <gasps> Me too. Yeah. It's really I'm also good. reading that book. That's so cool, Emma. My reading has also inspired me to be a writer, so I love filling notebooks with all kinds of stories in different worlds. Oh, this is amazing. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, we know that synthesis is all about failing and learning. Can we give can you give us an example of a time that you failed at anything? Um, and what did you learn from this that experience? Ooh, what a great question. So oof, I failed many, many times, but I guess one failure that I'm actually really happy that it ended up that way was when I, as soon as I quit teaching, um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I knew that I, like part of me knew that I wanted to do something different and I wanted to take some time to explore, but I was so nervous that I needed to have a standard job and sort of something that I could explain to people what it is that I'm doing and find something quickly so that I'm not out of a job. Um, so I remember applying for this job in Miami um, and it was in a school, but it wasn't teaching. And I really wasn't excited about the job. And I remember doing the interview and I really wasn't into this. And I, I it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I guess it reflected a lot on the way that I was doing the interview. And I did not end up getting the job, which at the time felt like a huge failure. I was like, well, like I, I should have done a better job. Like what is it that happened? But then when the months went by and then I sort of went into this like creator economy journey um, and to do what it is that I'm doing now, I realized that I'm, you know, that failure would taught me that I should not sort of like do things just because that's the way they've always been done, right? You should really do things that excite you, that will teach you something where you have opportunities to learn and to improve and to get better with, again, people that inspire you. And that really wasn't the place for me, but at the time it felt like a big failure. Um, so I guess that comes to mind also, um, growing up, I was a dancer. So that's, so I, I was born in Panama, but I, yeah, but I moved around a lot. So I lived in India, Colombia, Venezuela, Mexico, Brazil, and the U S. So the only constant in my life when I was growing up was dancing. So I would dance ballet, tap, jazz, modern dance in all those different countries. And I didn't really have to speak the language or in order to be able to do this. Right. So it was great for me, but I do remember there were lots of times as a dancer where I failed, um, where things did not go my way, where um, sometimes I was not able to perform because of something that I did wrong. So definitely dancing taught me a lot about failing and the importance of standing up and trying again and keep putting in the reps, keep practicing. And that's when I really saw improvements over time. So I guess those are two moments that I can think of right now. That's really inspiring. <laughs> so I have been a fan of Elon Musk before I before long before I started Synthesis. I'm reading his book, and I did a project on S and Eight, the re reusable rocket, last year mm. in school. Have you met him? And if so, what is he like? Um, no, so I have not met Elon, but our co-founder Josh Don was um, the one who started at Astra, the school, the lab school at SpaceX in Hawthorne. Yeah. Um, and that this is the school that they created for Elon's kids and sort of like the SpaceX employees. So Josh worked directly with Elon for all the years that his kids were in the school. And he did meet him several times and try to emulate the way that he thinks. Like you said, Emma, I'm also a big fan of Elon. 
Um, and, yeah. and the way that he thinks and just how he's so determined and there's no, the word no doesn't exist in his book, right? Like he yeah. thinks of something and he will figure out how to do it no matter what. And I really admire that. So Josh tried to sort of see the way that, that, and study the way that Elon thinks and operates and then try to create the perfect learning conditions for kids to sort of like learn to think that way. So synthesis was the most popular class at the school and that's sort of like we decided to then scale that and put it online in software so that kids from all over the world could have access to this very different learning experience um, but no the answer is like I don't know him personally but I feel like I'm constantly yeah. surrounded by his ideas and by people that do know him um, and so who knows maybe someday so um, who or what inspires you oh that's a great question so Well, related to Elon, actually. Um, so for who I would sort of say it's like a category of people, right? So I'm, I'm really inspired by people who like Elon sort of like go against the grain to make things better. Those who have like a vision for something and they're super passionate and obsessive and they will keep on working until they figure it out and until they achieve what they want to do. Um, I'm really inspired by people who question things and question the defaults and carve their own paths. Um, I'm really inspired by people who fail and fail publicly and then pick themselves up and try again. Um, and yeah, like people like Elon and Jeff Bezos and, um, you know, that sort of like do things that seem impossible, but then they end up doing it, right? Um, I think also of people like Maria Montessori, which you guys are familiar, right? The Italian educator that started this Montessori movement. Um, you know, it was in the 1900s at a time where it was very controversial, her ideas, and it was just very out there. And she was like, it doesn't matter. Like, I really believe in this and I'm going to make it happen. It doesn't matter if people agree with me or not. Um, so I really admire that. And related to that, like what inspires me um, is being around interesting people, passionate people, hardworking people, people like you guys that are, you know, you're 11 years oh, old you. and you started a podcast. Like, I am very inspired by that. Like, incredible. A person who really inspires me is my big brother, Jackson. He um, sometimes struggles with things and he always pushes through and focuses on what he can do instead of quitting and feeling down and being like, I can't do this. I usually act like that sometimes. And um, I every time I do, I try my best to think about my brother and what he does. Oh, I love what that that's such a great strategy, Xavier. Once again, I cannot believe that I'm talking to 11 year olds. Um, whenever you're going through a hardship or something difficult, it's such a good strategy to think of someone you admire and how they would handle with the situation. So in this case, it's your brother. And that's wonderful. That's a great mental model, actually, which is sort of like the things that we teach at Synthesis. So that's amazing. What about you, Emma? Well, I have three main people. Mm -hmm. um, my mom, because she's an entrepreneur and she's passionate about gender equality. Mm -hmm. And also the singer Pink, because she ignores the critics and has fun doing what she does, like regardless of what people think. She cut her hair. Okay, mm -hmm. so you think I look like a boy. So what? Mm -hmm. Before, uh, like a couple years ago, I did cut my hair and people did mistake me for a boy. Mm -hmm. And I always thought in my head, just because I have short hair does not mean I'm a boy. That should not be a stereotype. Exactly. And then also... Michelle Obama, because I read her book and I'm, I'm just at the part where she, um, like, she's been first lady and she doesn't want to be that 
she, during the uh, campaign, she didn't really want to be the passive first lady that just sits there. She told her story. She she told it in auditoriums full of people. And she just didn't sit back and be the passive, perfect first lady everyone expects her to be. Oh, what a beautiful answer. I love that. I also admire Michelle Obama a lot. Um. So what makes you happy? Oh, what a great question. Um. So this is an interesting one. Can I start by saying what I thought made me happy and then what made me change my mind? Of course. Yeah, okay. So I used to think for the longest time that what made me happy was to be super productive in a day. And this meant, you know, making sure that I went through or at most, as much as I can through my to-do list, that I found time to work out, um, to spend time with my family. And like, I would just put a bunch of things in my schedule and I was like, I will be happy if I get through all this. Now, as you can imagine, this quickly became an issue because life gets in the way and sometimes you're not able to accomplish all the things that you, and someone like me, I'm very obsessive and I'm very ambitious. So you can imagine how long my to-do lists were. Um, and there were days where I would accomplish it and I would feel great, but that would, that happiness that I would feel would quickly fade because I started to worry about the next day and all the things that I had to do the next day in order to be quote unquote happy. Um, and then I quickly realized, wait, and the days that I'm not able to do all the things that I set myself to do and be productive, I am really feeling this like hole inside. And, and I started to realize like, this can't be happiness. And I came across um, a, a definition of happiness that really resonated with me from someone that I admire a lot. His name is Neval Ravikant. He's an angel investor and he's also a philosopher. And he talked about how happiness was um, that state where you feel like you're not missing anything. So you're not thinking about the future. You're not thinking about the past. You're sort of just present. When I read that, I was like, huh, maybe I should stop measuring my happiness um, depending on, you know, what it is that I accomplish in a day and, and just sort of try to be present and, and be content with the present moment. And I started to realize that I would immerse myself in certain activities where I'm not thinking about the future of the past and I'm just genuinely happy. One of them is when I'm, I'm dancing and I realize that when I'm dancing, I am not thinking about anything. I'm thinking about the next step that I'm going to take, right? So it's a moment where I feel really content with myself. I have, a, I experience a similar feeling when I'm swimming um, or when I'm meditating. I love playing board games. That's one of my favorite things to do. And that's something that I used to do a lot with students. Um, and when I'm playing board games, again, I'm not thinking about the future, about the things I need to do, about the things I didn't do. I'm just fully immersed in the experience. Um, and then when I'm reading, but for pleasure. So when I'm reading because I have to do something with that context or that text, then I don't really experience this. But when I'm doing it just for pleasure and I sort of get lost in, in the book, um, then I, I, again, I experience that happiness that I'm talking about. So that's one thing. And then, um, something that makes me really happy as well is meeting interesting people and learning about new things. So I'm sort of like, addicted to learning new things and meeting yeah. interesting people. So I constantly try to put myself in a position when this happens. So like, I was super excited for this conversation because I wanted to meet you too. I wanted to talk about whatever it is that you were curious about. I loved the title of the podcast, Curious Conversations. So that sort of gives me that adrenaline rush and, and makes me happy, right? Um, yeah, just discovering new insights. I also really Something that makes me really happy is then sharing knowledge, which is a lot of what I do, and teaching people whatever it is that I'm learning. So when I share something that other people find valuable or insightful, I, I again, I experience this content and this joy. Um, even if it's just one person that found my content valuable, that's enough for me. And that makes me really happy. 
So I, I also love reading. It makes me too, do feel really, really happy. Mm. But I, we also love playing board games, including Sorry, Clue, yes. a bunch of other games, and card games as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I do understand the reading part. It is, it is like totally escaping into a new world. Right? Totally, totally. Oh, I'm glad we share that in common, Emma. What makes me happy is my, fr- my family, my friends, and playing with my Lego guys in my room. It, that really makes me calm. I love getting lost in my Lego and I will, I will forget about time. I'll forget about everything and my, my mind is just into the characters. I hear mm. their voices in my head. I hear their, um, like what they do in their day to day lives and it's just amazing for me. I love that, Xavier. Let me ask you a quick follow up question. Do you, mm-hmm. Um, when you play with Legos, are you usually sort of like, um, building whatever it is that comes in the box and following those instructions, or are you sort of, um, building your own things or is it a mix of both? Um, I, I'm just curious how you play with the Legos. Um, well, I usually, um, when I'm upstairs in my room, I build stuff, but I have a lot of Lego characters. And mm-hmm. my parents do buy me Lego sets, which I do build with the instructions. Mm-hmm. But I, um, it's kind of hard for me to watch the instructions. Like I make these weird structures. Like I make these these cars. I make mm-hmm. all these different stuff, and that's normally what I love to build. Oh, I'm so happy you shared that. That's great. I'm actually going to be publishing a video on the Lego effect, where I talk about um, what happens when you're building Legos that come in kits and you're following instructions, and then what happens when you're actually just using the old Lego approach that doesn't come with instructions, you're just sort of what you were saying, like build weird structures, anything that your imagination sort of like takes you, um, and anything that you come up with, right? And how valuable that kind of play is even more valuable than the one of following instructions. So I'm so glad you shared that, Xavier. Maybe you'll like the video that I'll share. So what makes me happy are my pets. We have a beagle named Maverick. You probably hear him in the background sometimes. (laughs) He's the one opening the doors and stuff, and he's like clip-clotting around. Sometimes he just lays with us podcasting. And and we have a Egyptian male cat named Loki. I don't know. They help me calm me down when I pet them. They're really easy to hang out with. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Animals have just... There's something about animals that bring the sense of joy that we were talking about. Absolutely. It's um, uh, it's 100%. Um, a lot of people say dog is the best man's friend, but so are yeah. cats. Both of them, mm-hmm. ca- uh, both cats and dogs are both wonderful creatures. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Before we end, is there anything you would like to ask us? Yes, of course. I, again, am so inspired by the fact that two 11-year-olds took the time and effort to start a podcast. So this is something that I have in my pipeline, <laughs> um, starting a podcast. And so I'm just so impressed by the fact that you guys did this. So I guess my question is, what inspired you to start a podcast? And what's an advice you have for me as now I get into this journey, as I start my own podcast around education? If you want to have advice for making a podcast, um, you, you want to have a wish list of people that you want to have potentially on the podcast. We have a wish list. Um, mm-hmm. you go, you need, you probably want headphones, a microphone mm-hmm. and a quiet, and a quiet place to work. 
and a place like to put it on like Apple Podcast or Spotify. Amazing. Thank you for that, Xavier. Emma, um, how do you guys come up with this incredible questions? That's my other, um, my, I'm, I'm curious about that because I've been in many podcasts and these questions were just very, very good. Like I can tell that you guys did some research or really thought about it um, depending on your guest. Am I correct? Yes. So depending on their guest, we like, we, we always had a, a set of normal questions that we always ask each interview, mm-hmm. but sometimes I, I'm just laying there reading or like petting or dog or cat and i and i think of course i'm like oh we should put that in the podcast and i go tell mom <laughs> and we when i put it in the document that we have and the do's and don'ts i'd say that you asked earlier mm-hmm. um probably like do like tell everyone about it and like mm-hmm. probably promote it what we've learned is that you don't want to rush you should take time to prepare um but basically just like you find your own schedule you find like the layout you want for it to work so Mm -hmm. this is great advice thank you so much xavier and emma well thank you so much for being on the podcast and you taught us a bunch of stuff (laughs) that is so sweet of you xavier thank you so much thank you for coming on thank you for having me Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Emma, that was a fantastic interview. I can't believe we're reading the same book. I can't wait to finish it. And it's also so inspiring that she quit her job to follow her passion. It was so much fun to talk about synthesis. I think everyone should try it. My favorite part is that you don't learn by pen and paper and you learn by games. I agree. After talking with Anna, it seems this is where education is going. I love the game Proxima, Fire Ridge, and more, and how we learn to collaborate through the game. Her ideal school day sounds amazing. A couple of hours of traditional school, lots of outdoor time, and learning what what we would choose. I want to go to that school. Don't forget to check out Synthesis in the show notes, and remember, embrace the chaos. Thank you for listening, and I know all the shows you listen to probably say this, but please rate the podcast and download the episode. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. That'll be in the show notes. And if you want to say hi to us, we'd love to connect with you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Curious Conversations. Bye!